being with us today. I just wanted to share something before we get right into the word is, this is really interesting, is that there is no singular word for mercy in the Hebrew language. When you translate that word mercy in Hebrew, it comes out as mercies, which is plural. And sin is always singular when it comes in the Hebrew language. And I just want to remind you that his mercies are what? New every single day. You cannot exhaust the mercy of God. And I pray that as you've been at New Day for a number of months or maybe over a year that we've been started, that you're beginning to understand how good he truly is, how merciful he is. There's a passage in Psalms 136 that says, your mercy endures forever. And so receive his mercy today. And as we continue to go through this message, keep in mind that the God that you serve is greater than you. That the sin that you commit, the ways that you sometimes fall short, does not compare to the immenseness or the immense nature of his grace and his mercy. I want to start off by reading this passage. It comes from Exodus chapter 14. I want you to listen closely because I wanted to kind of just put a little backdrop of the message this morning. It's not going to be on the screen, but listen to these words. It's as the Israelites were leaving Egypt, they saw Pharaoh and his armies coming, and this is what it says. And when Pharaoh drew closer, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel, they cried out to the Lord. I want you to see something very interesting is that they saw something. They had a promise from God. They watched God do amazing things. Ten plagues that they watched God, the creator of the universe, say, I want to show you my power, but I also want to introduce you to me. He takes them out of Egypt. Pharaoh lets them go. They're on their way, and they look, and now Pharaoh and his army are after them. And so they look up, and they now see. And many times this happens with many of us, is that we know God's with us. We know what he's promised us, but now we see something very different. And it says that they saw the army marching after them, and they became what? Very afraid. And it was out of their fear that they now cried out to God. I want you to see this because many times our prayers and our cries to God are not because we're trusting him, it's because we're fearful of what we see. And listen to these words, and I want you to see God's response in just a moment. And it says, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they, they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we were told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And I see that as a great depiction of how many times God may lead us somewhere, and we don't know why he took us that way, because it led to a place of pain and difficulty and challenge and against the very things that we thought he had promised us. And we look at God and we go, man, God, why why now am I going through these things 
that I'm serving you and I'm loving you and I'm following you and now I'm experiencing these things. And it goes on to say these words. And Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand still and you will see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see them again no more. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. I want you to know today that the Lord knows what you're facing. And he's not scared. And he's not surprised. And he's not wondering how he's going to pull this off. He realizes who he is. He knows who he is, and he will fight the very battles that you're facing if you will what? Stand still and watch him do what he does best. And this is how the Lord responded. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. And I want to encourage some of you in this room today, keep going. To go forward. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let what you're seeing cause you to forget what God said. Don't let the, the circumstances of life keep you from moving forward, from pressing into the things of God. Sometimes when we press more deeply into the things of God, hell gets a little bit irritated and agitated and it starts to press back and it convinces us or tries to, to say, you keep pushing, I'll keep pushing. So stop pushing. And then we back off a little bit, but what does hell continue to do? It keeps on pushing and pushing and pushing until we finally give in. And so today we're going to continue to talk about this idea of trusting God. I want to make sure at the very onset of this that I am not speaking a message to tell you and to go do something. Don't go and trust God. That's not the nature of trust. I'm trying to persuade us all that trust is a byproduct. It's not a choice. It's a byproduct of knowing the one that is with you. It's not, oh, I'm just going to choose to trust God today. No, it's realizing who is with you. And my prayer and my hope is that you are learning over the last three weeks what trusting God really means. Because I know some of you in this room, without even sharing some things with me, I just know that some of you are struggling to trust God with the pain that you have of your past. That there's something internal, there's something deep that you just can't seem to get past the pain that you're experiencing. Maybe it's a pain of a lost one. Maybe it's a pain of what somebody has done to you and you seem like you're stuck and it's hard to let go and give that to God. Or maybe you don't even know how. Some of you struggling to trust God with the hurt that you feel. The hurt of what somebody said, the hurt of what somebody did, or the hurt of what somebody did not do when they said that they would. Maybe you struggle today to trust God with the offense that you have in your heart, that you feel justified, that you know what, God, they did this to me and they deserve this as a result. My dad did this to me and you know what, I'm never going to talk to him again. My mom did this to me and I'll never speak another word to her. And so what happens is we struggle to trust God with the very depths of our soul. Some of you maybe are struggling with the way of the things that you want. You want life to be this way and for some reason or another it has turned out this way and you're struggling to say, God, I still trust you. Some in this room maybe are struggling to trust God with your business. 
that it's your business. And so if it's going to be successful, then you got to now put all the time, all the effort, all the, all the energy into it. Because if you don't, then it's going to fail. It happens to pastors all the time. That the pressure now is placed upon us on our own selves of saying, you know what, if this is going to succeed, God, I got to do this, this, this. And you start to neglect some very important things like time with God and time with your family. And well, because those things, if I, if I don't have a business or if I don't have a church, then I can't even. And we forget to put this thing in the hands of God and going, God, there's a certain limit and barriers that I have. And I'm going to put boundaries so that I can know that if this thing succeeds, it's because of you and not because of me. Some of you struggle to trust God with your spouse. For many years, I struggled with that, of just getting fearful of how things were and what it would look like. And at the, at the end of the day, I have to trust that Sarah is God's daughter more than she's my wife. And that I'm not there to control, I'm not there to change, I'm not there to fix her, I'm there to love her as Christ loves the church and he is there to be her father. Some of you struggle with your kids. Why? Because they're not walking in the things that you think they should be walking in. You're, they're wayward. They're not, they're not walking in line with the word of God. And so you're freaking out inside. You're not sure. You're anxious. You're living with a sense of anxiety because God, man, I love them more than anybody. And we don't trust that God loves them more. And that God will find a way to meet them right where they are. Some of you in this room are struggling with your future. Trying to figure it all out. I've been there before. I actually used to plan my whole future. It was perfect. I mean, it looked perfect. I had those nice books that you could put them all in systematic ways, and I'm going to do this by this year and this by that year and accomplish this by that year, and then sometimes it just doesn't happen, does it? That's, at the end of the day, the Lord was going to say, you know what, Justin, will you trust me with your future? Yeah, but let's talk about it, Lord. No, 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 will you trust me with your future? That I've been where I'm taking you, and I will lead you right there. Yeah, God, I trust you even when I don't know exactly where we're going. But some of you also struggle, and I want to I just sit here for just a moment with your past, of letting go of what you used to be like and who you used to be and what you've done. And so what happens is you still live with a sense of shame, guilt, and condemnation, and you feel like you're deserving of those feelings. Well, Justin, you don't know what I've done. If you knew what I'd done, then you know I should feel guilty, condemned, and shameful. And I'm here to tell you, if God took care of your future and Jesus died on that cross for your sins and he has redeemed you from who you used to be and he's made you a new creation, then it's time to trust him that he actually sees you this way and he doesn't see you how you used to be. That when he looks at you, he doesn't look at you with disappointment. He actually looks at you with favor and acceptance. I know that's a hard message to swallow because we're scared of where it goes. We're scared about too much grace and too much mercy when I want to remind you God is way bigger than you. He's not subject to you. And so your past has been dealt with. Your sin has been dealt with and now he wants to introduce you to a new way of life. And some of us just want to bring our past along the entire way because that's who we are. I'm, a, I'm an adulterer. I'm, I'm somebody who used to uh, uh, do this and I'm somebody who used to do this and that's just who I am and so we carried around and our relationship with God is now defined by who we used to be rather than saying God okay I'm going to give you my past but you know what that means God is that now I can't think about it anymore no longer do I talk with you about who I used to be what do we talk about now you talk about who you are and how he sees you and so we're all learning how to rest 
in the midst of what life brings us. How many ever feel anxious ever? Oh, amen. This message is for you. And what happens is because of life, it demands something from us. I want you to see this. It demands that you toil. Think about life with a whip. Think about life with a whip. And it be, when it becomes our master, it says, work harder, strive more, go after this and go after this. And it keeps on pushing and you see it, it's especially in the bigger cities that we live in. You see people just running on what they call what? What is it called? Yep. Well, I mean, in, what's the phrase? Like, we're, we're, we're running like a mouse in a mousetrap. What is the phrase? A rat race. And we're not rats, amen? And we're not in that race. And I want to remind you that life will tell you, no, push harder, no, strive more. If you want to be something, then go and do. And I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is opposite. It says, if you want to become somebody, receive from your father. But the life tells us, you got to do this and you got to toil. And so what it does is it puts all the pressure back upon us and go, okay, I need to toil in order to make it in life. And so rest, as we mentioned a couple of months ago, is to be unmoved, to be in total peace regardless of what happens to you. This is important to understand because there is a place as a son and daughter of God where there is a rest. That no matter if your kids are going wayward, they're not walking with the Lord, we think, well, because I care so deeply about that, I, I must freak out. And I must go, God, what are you going to do? How are we going to make this work? And so what we do is we start to pressure them even more when in fact there's a place of rest of going, God, I've done my job. I've trained them as best as I could. I know I made mistakes and I don't live with that regret, but I thank you that you love them more and that you will meet them and I will pray for them and I will watch over them and I will care for them. But Father God, I commit them into your hands. That's a place of rest. That you are not moved by what you see. That we are able to rest when relationships that we thought were so secure start to fall apart. That we rest when somebody has done us wrong, that we rest when it seems like hell is breaking loose in our life and it doesn't think, seem like it ever comes at the right time. Have you ever been there before? It's like where that happens and then that happens and it's like you say the phrase, I can't take it anymore and then something else happens and you're like, God, I can't do this anymore. And he's showing you, I want to show you that there's a place of rest even in the midst of that. That there's a place of rest where your mind doesn't seem like it's able to stop for a moment. It's thinking about this care and thinking about this care and it's thinking about this worry and thinking about this person and how's that going to work out and what did they say to me and what they haven't done for me. And there's a rest and a place of joy and freedom that we can be joyful and free to be joyful. Some of us don't feel like we're deserving to be joyful. Like we're not allowed to have joy in the midst of craziness. Like, how can I be joyful when the world looks like it does? We feel like we're irresponsible. And I'm here to tell you, there is nobody more joyful than the Lord. In His presence is the fullness of what? Sadness, right? Disappointment, discouragement that God's up there going, man, this sucks. Watching all my people just live the way that they want. No, He's fullness of joy. He's not moved by us. And there's a place of joy and freedom. And ultimately, where he wants us all to get there, there's a place of resting in him. Where it's not about how, how much you're holding on to him, it's about 
God, you got me, right? Because I'm tired. I can't seem to hold on anymore, but you're holding on to me, right? And that's when you finally realize he is. That's where you finally realize if you can just picture yourself on a cliff and somebody's hand is hanging over that cliff, it's like in order to hold on to their arm, what do you need to do? Let go. And you have to trust for that very moment that when I let go, I'm not going down, that you got me. And that you're holding on to me until you can bring me out of that place. And that's sometimes where he brings us to. Is we're like, man, how are you doing this week? Man, I'm just trying to hold on for dear life. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Okay, good, let go. And watch that the one that says he's with you and the one that says he'll never forsake you, he's actually holding on to you. And when you finally let go, it's the most intimidating moment of our life. Because when we finally are going, okay, God, you got this? And he says, yeah, I got this. And I can imagine some of you, even in your own mind, as I was writing this message, saying, Justin, that is a great thought for a sermon. That works on Sunday morning in a church building. But how do you do that in real life? Is there truly a place of rest when their circumstances are contrary? Is there truly a place of joy when things around you are not going the way that they should? Is there truly a place of love when somebody has done you wrong and actually has hurt you and spitefully spoken things against you? So we begin to wonder if this stuff actually works in real life. That we start to see this thing called faith and this thing called trust and this thing called rest in him as just platitudes that actually don't really work when you put the rubber to the ground. But our trust in God is 100% based upon our relationship to him. And you've heard me say this of who he is to me and who I am to him. So my whole life is about one thing, discovering who he is. Because when I discover who he is, I finally start to know who I am to him. And when I discover who he is, my trust begins to build. Why? Because I start to know the one that I'm walking with. It's who he is to me and who we are to him. John chapter 14, verse 27. Good job, Nico. It says these words. Now this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, but I believe the same words are spoken to us. Peace, I leave with who? I want you to see this, that word shalom, that word peace, is significant. It says, peace I leave to you, and my peace, whose peace? His peace. So the peace that Jesus lived with, so that when he walked through his 33 years of existence on this earth, he walked with a sense of peace. And he says, my peace, that very same peace you watched me walk with, I what? Give it to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. How does the world give? It gives with strings. It gives with striving. It gives with if I do this, you what? You do this. No, he says, I give it to you. All you have to do is receive it. And it says, so if you know this, let not your heart be. And there's a place where we know it. God meets us where? Right where we are. So if your heart's troubled today, he meets you there. But I can tell you, the God that I know says, do you want me to teach you how not to have your heart troubled? And some of us in the back of our mind go, that's a Christian church thing. That's not reality. My heart will be troubled if this happens. But do you want me to show you the peace that I give to you? It causes your heart not to be troubled, neither to be what? 
afraid. Are we all there yet? Of course we're not. But that's where he's taking us. To show us in a place that when I'm trusting God, my heart would not be troubled. If my heart is troubled, there's no condemnation, but it's just revealing to me that I'm missing something. That I need to be upgraded in my understanding of who he truly is inside of my life. Because right now, the very thing that I'm looking at when I see the Egyptians coming is the very thing that's making me more fearful when the knowing that the God who just did all those amazing plagues are now, he's with me. And so I'm more trusting in what I'm seeing than who he is. That word peace is the word shalom, as many of you know. And that means it's, it's a word that speaks of well-being, tranquility, prosperity, security, circumstances unblemished by any sort of defect. Shalom is a blessing. It's a manifestation of what? God's grace. So that no matter what you go through, he told the Apostle Paul, my grace is what? Now think about that. Paul literally said, take this away from me. Three times. And God didn't get upset that he asked it. He just reminded him, if you know what my grace can do, you realize my grace is sufficient to overcome whatever it is that you're facing. That my grace will cause you to have the strength that you need to get through any situation that you're facing. And so true peace is not subject to the events that are around us. The events around us now become subject to the peace that he has given to us. The question is, which one of us is going to receive it? And I just want to make sure I, I'm clear about this. You can only receive it daily. You cannot receive his peace for tomorrow's troubles. And so if you're worried about tomorrow, you cannot receive peace for that worry tomorrow. He says what? Don't worry about tomorrow for today has its own troubles in the troubles that you're facing, I have given you a grace that is sufficient for the troubles that you're facing today. And my grace will be sufficient tomorrow. And my grace will be sufficient the next day. And I'm leading you to a place where you're depending upon God for the grace, not for a better circumstances. Are you hearing me? Because if we're moved by circumstances, we are now fixated on God change this. When we have the grace that is sufficient, we go, God, I thank you that no matter what I face, whether I'm in a valley or in the mountaintop, I can handle it. Why? Because of your grace, not because my circumstances are right. So we must step into his peace that rises from inside of us. We must step into his presence. We must step into his strength as we wait for him to what? Strengthen us. In every circumstance you encounter, and if you get one thing out of today, it's this thought. It came to my mind last night, and I was like, God, man, that, that to me, it changes so much in how I see things. In every circumstance you encounter, think right now in your own personal life, circumstances that are not good, something that you wish would change like that. If God could go, I'll change anything, you'd go change that. Think about that circumstance right now. And there's one promise that is guaranteed for every circumstances you face. Now think about this. Because we face off with a circumstance and we go searching in the Bible and go, okay, 
There's a promise I know you've given me for this circumstance. Why? Because we want the circumstance to what? To change, right? And so there has to be a promise here. God, I'm going to find a promise. God, uh, okay, where's Hezekiah? I'll make up a promise, right? <laughs> the one promise that all of us have been given in every single circumstance is him. I don't know if that makes a great impact in your own heart like it did last night for mine, but I was like, huh, you're enough. Like, to know that the Israelites had one promise to them as the Egyptians were coming was what? I'm with you. One promise, Justin, is you're starting this church. I'm not going to promise that it's going to grow. I'm not going to promise that you're going to do a great job. I'm not going to promise that there's no troubles. I'm going to promise you one thing. I will be with you. You're in your business. You have one promise, not that he's going to make it super successful in a multi-billion dollar business or that you're going to have record sales. That's not, I don't find that in here. I find good promises and you should go find them, but I do find one promise. I'll be with you. In your marriage, I don't promise that it's all going to go perfect and that your spouse is going to do exactly what you hope that they do, but I have one promise. I'll be with you. You start to take on a new level of, oh, you just have a new baby and you're parenting. I'll be with you. You go on a new adventure and the things that God has instructed you, you have one promise, Him, I will go with you. My, my, my blessing to you, Justin, is not the circumstances changing. My blessing to you is that I am with you. And when you finally are secure in that, you're like, wow, God, the creator of the universe, He's with me and He's gone before me. Now He's still with me and He's going to show me the way. So no matter how hard, no matter how harsh, no matter how difficult or how awful some circumstances are, there's one promise that he has given to all of us. I am with you, so don't be afraid. So the question is this, or the, the issue is not fear. The issue is knowing the one who is with me. If I start to deal with fear over here and say, God, I, I have a, a fear problem. He says, you don't have a fear problem. You, don't, you have an issue that you don't know how much I love you and who I am for you and that if I'm with you, everything is going to be the way that I need it to be. And sure, you're going to come across enemies and sure there's a God of this or the ruler of this world is the enemy or Satan. So you're going to have opposition and you're going to have obstacles and you're going to have suffering. But just one promise, Justin, I am with you. And that promise just puts everything at rest inside of my own spirit. Do not be afraid for he is it with you. Paul writes these words in Colossians chapter verse 15 and he's writing to the community church there and he says this and let the peace of God rule let God's peace rule your life what that is telling me is this don't let the circumstances of your life rule where in your heart it's easy to do isn't it it's easy to be fixated on what needs to change and God, I want this to be better. And it's okay to have those conversations. That's between you and your father. But at the end of the day, he wants you to realize the kingdom of God is within. 
and that there is righteousness, joy, and peace inside that does not get dictated by what happens on the external. And so Paul is telling them, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are also called in one body and be what? And be thankful. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, he writes these words. And just remember, if anybody quotes something from the Sermon on the Mount, they're quoting from the middle or from somewhere in the sermon. So read the entire thing to understand it. And that's what I'm doing. I'm pulling out just a section in Matthew chapter uh, 6. Nico, I think that's on there, is it? Matthew chapter 6. Did I not put it on there? It says these words. It says, look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant and they don't store up food, yet your heavenly Father, what? Provides them with, each of them with food. Do they go get their own food? Yes, they do, right? I don't think worms fall out of heaven, right? Mama bird goes out. She builds the nest. So there is some labor involved, but he's giving us a rest inside, not this stress that we all experience at times. Aren't you much what? More valuable to your father than a bird? He says, when you catch your value, worry no longer is an issue. I am not going to stand up here and say, guys, you need to trust God and you need to stop worrying, you need to stop being afraid. No, I want to introduce you to who is with you and then fear will start to be dissipated. I want to introduce you to how much value, how valuable you are to him and then worry will dissipate. Are you following me? So we're no longer trying to fix you and trying to make you good Christians that don't worry, don't be afraid. No, when you realize how good your God is and that he's with you and how valuable you are to him, that he took his son and he saw mankind in their wickedness and he said, I'm going to find a way to redeem them back to me. Therefore, I'm going to give my son up to show them how valuable you are. It doesn't matter who you are in this room. I don't care if you're super Christian or a not super Christian. You have the same price tag on your head. Everybody in this room has the exact same value to our father. And that value cost him his son. And he says, do you not realize how much more valuable you are than they? So which one of you, by worrying, can you add something to your life? And why would you worry even about your clothes? Look at the beautiful flowers. They don't work or toil. Are you following me so far? That word toil, put on the screen, Nico, it says this. Hard, arduous labor that doesn't produce much at all, it comes with sorrow. There's a toiling with the God's kingdom that produces joy. And then there's a toiling without his grace that produces sorrow and pain and exhaustion. Are you following me? There's two toilings that take place. God is not saying, sit on your lazy boy and let me take care of everything for you. Nothing will be taken care of. But he's saying there's a toiling with my grace and then there's a toiling in your own strength and the way that you know the difference is one produces joy and one produces sorrow. And that's the toiling that we're talking about and so look at Luke chapter 5 with me. It's not going to be on the screen but listen to these words. If you have it in your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 5, 1 through 7. And it says these words, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood, stood by the lake of Gennesaret 
and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. End of the day, they're finished with their, their fishing. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put it out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and he began to speak to the multitudes. And when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, the guy who owned the boat, Simon Peter, he said, Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Okay, Nico, if you can put the, the um, definition of trust, it should be a couple down there. I want, I want, before we continue, I want you to, this is what we've been working on. Trust is what? It's my response to my father's love to follow his leading, regardless of the what? Cost, or my ability to understand why. How many have been there before where you felt like God has prompted you, that he has instructed you to do something, and one, it's going to cost you something, or two, you don't understand why he would be asking you to do that. Hey, Noah, go build an ark. It may take 100 years, but it's going to rain soon. Trust is the fact that my father loves me, where he's leading me, I'm going to follow regardless of the cost, which was ridicule from the entire nation, or my ability to understand why. Now let's go back to Luke. It says this uh, in verse 4. I want to read it again. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And before we read, I want you to stop there and just think about any instruction or direction that God has given to you. Where you're a little bit like timid, like God, I don't even know how that will work out. I don't even know why you're asking me to do that. I know there's times where he's asked me to encourage certain people with something or confront certain things. And I remember, uh, let me just give you one example because this is a big one. Is our neighbors, uh, we, this is when we lived in Tinley about maybe seven years ago. Um, I won't give the guy's name, but he was down there. He had a, a, a drinking problem. And I was up on our second level in a, a separate spare bedroom, and I was praying, and I saw him from below in his garage. And this is what the Lord told me in my heart. Go tell him that if he does not stop drinking, he's going to lose his family in 12 months. Who's excited about that one? <laughs> like, it took me three and a half hours to work up the courage to go and say something. But I made a commitment right when he said it, I will do it. It just took me three and a half hours to go do it. Like, shut, hey man, hopefully that garage door shuts. Three and a half hours, he's still there in his, in his thing. So I went up to him and I said, uh, said his name and I said, hey man, I, I, I know you know I'm a Christian, but I was praying upstairs in my room and I know this sounds weird. I feel like maybe I'm even crossing a line, but I really felt like the Lord said, um, just to warn you that if the drinking doesn't get controlled in your life, you're going to lose your family. Well, we had moved from that place. We moved to another house a couple of years later and uh, talked to the guy that was next to us and he knew this guy and uh, we needed to do some work around the house and he did that kind of job. And so I called him up, not realizing it was the same guy. I didn't make the connection yet. And I called him. He's like, man, dude, Justin, how you doing? I said, oh man, you're, you're the person that we used to live next to. And he's like, yeah. And I said, I said, how is your wife and kids? And he said, it happened just like you said. In 12 months, I lost them. And today I'm sober and I haven't drank for over a year, uh, but I lost my family as a result. And so trust is my response. Isn't this amazing that my father loved that man so much that he would ask me as a son to go and warn him 
and I didn't know what the, circ- the, the consequence would be, the cost, and I didn't understand exactly why. But there's a trust factor there, and so I don't know what instruction God has gave you, but he gave Peter this instruction. Hey, it's time to go launch into the deep. And this is what Peter said. But Simon answered him, and he said to him, Master, we have, go to that, oh, you don't have enough up there. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. I just want to stop right there because that's sometimes how we feel with God. Hey, God, I get what you're saying, but I think there's one thing that you missed in this whole equation. We've already done that. And we've toiled all night, and the results were what? Nothing. But he said these words, but nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to let down the net. And verse 6 says, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. I don't know what he's instructed to do. I don't know some of the steps that you are to take. But regardless of the cost and your ability to understand why, to trust him. To realize that what he said, he's going to be faithful. Even if you don't see, I still truly believe that even if the nets were not breaking, that we are still to trust him. Because it's not always about the end result. And so there is no need, and I know this is a hard phrase to hear, but there's no need to toil internally as a child of God. Externally, yes, but not internally. That my trust toward God is rooted in knowing who he is and believing his love for me. And many of you in this room are trying hard to trust God and to believe his word. But it all comes down to not the issue of trust. It comes to the issue of knowing the one that's with you. When I'm trusting God, I'm simply responding to his good nature. That he's always what? He always has my best in mind and he's always setting me up to succeed at what he's called me to do. And so trust is my proper response to his love and his leading. But God is always leading us to a place of dependency and intimacy. And he's leading you as any good shepherd would. I shared this verse last week, but I want to remind you, Isaiah chapter 40. It says that he will feed his flock like a good shepherd. And he will gather the lambs in his arms. And he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those. That he has a role that he's going to play and he is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And the role of a sheep is to follow. The role of the sheep is to surrender. The role of the sheep is to trust that the shepherd has their best in mind. That he is there to guide. He is there to gather. He is there to lead. And he is there to feed. And so God desires all of us to be a people that rest in him. It's called the word is dependency. There's three years in a row, 2000. 15, 16, and 17, where I felt like the Lord gave me a word for that year. In 2016 was the word dependency. I haven't had it since. But dependency was a word back then. And what I didn't realize is this. Dependency in my mind was, okay, God, financially I'm going to have to depend on you, right? Like, it's going to be tough. I just stepped away from my job. Sarah, we're moving to Florida. There's dependency. But what I didn't realize is I had to depend on him when I no longer had the things coming at me that I used to get um, affirmations from. I no longer had the emails and the thank yous and the text messages and this and this and this. And so I realized I had to depend on him way more than just for a money source. And it says this in Psalm 62. I want to read this to you. It's not on the screen. It says, I will wait quietly before God. Listen to the words that David is writing. He says, I will wait quietly before God. That's not always easy to do, is it? 
Sometimes our, our mind is racing so much that we can't even spend a few minutes with God because our, our, our soul is so uh, uh, agitated. For my salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and He is my salvation. He's my fortress while I'll never be shaken. So many enemies come against me. All of them are trying to kill me. To them I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from the high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They are friendly to my face, but they curse me in their hearts. Listen to what David's going through. He says, I will wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. My hope is not in them. My hope is not in what they will change and how they will act. My hope is in him. He alone is my rock. He is my, my salvation. My fortress will I not be shaken. He's my salvation and my honor comes from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Amen? Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. And Job went through something so similar where he was facing challenge after challenge. He said these words, man, God, I look to the right and you're not there. I look to the left and you're nowhere to be found. You're not before me and you're not behind me. Lord, where are you? But he said these words in Job 23, verse number 10. You can turn there or put that on the screen, Nico. Job 23, 10, it says, but, I love this. There's so many buts that go in the negative direction. Sometimes we, 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 we hear something that God, or somebody preach about God's goodness and we go, I know he's good, but this one changed. He was like, God, I don't see you to my right. I don't see you to my left. I don't see you forward. God, where are you? He knows. He knows what? He knows the way that I take. Why? Because he's the one that's leading me. And the reason why God led the children of Israel into the wilderness is because if they went the, the route of the Mesopotamia, which was nine-day journey, what was awaiting them? Enemies. And he says, lest you get discouraged, you go back because you're fearful of war. He says, I'm going to lead you through the wilderness so that I can get Egypt out of you and I can introduce you to who I am. And he knows the way that you, you're taking he knows where you are. He knows what path you're going down. And when he has tested me, how does he test us? Not by failing us. Not by breaking your legs or throwing you into an accident or making the plane go down. None of that. That's not testings from God. God's testings is... Are you guys okay back there? All right. God's testings is when that little, little toddler's walking. What does the dad do? He backs up. That's a test. The test to know, God, can I trust that you are with me even though I don't feel you? He's testing to see if you'll come here on Sunday morning and still worship God even though your week was horrible. He's testing to see if you'll still believe that he's good even though things haven't worked out the way that it has. He's testing to see if you're going to succumb to the pressure of life or if you're going to say, I gave you my peace, will you receive it? Or are you just going to receive the stress of life? Those are the tests, and he says, once I have been tested, I shall come forth as what? Shall come forth as gold. I'm going to come out of this. If I trust in the grace of God, I'm going to come forth as gold. So I want to remind you this morning that he knows. What I mean by that is he knows your pain, and he knows your doubts, and he knows your hurts. He knows your desires. He knows your failures and his mistakes, and he still is pursuing you. He knows your insecurities, and he's still calling you up into who you are. But not only does God knows, he also cares. 
It's just not that he's good that he, oh, I know that God's with me or I know that God knows what I'm going through, but he also cares. No one in the entire world, no matter how loving and how caring they are towards you, comes close to how much God cares for you. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about who you're becoming. He cares about what the enemy is doing to you. And that's why Peter can echo the words of David when he says, cast all your what? Cares upon him for he tenderly cares for you. It's hard to give your care to somebody that doesn't care about you. But when you realize, God, you know what I'm going through. And God, you care what I'm going through. The third thing I just want to remind you this morning is, he is working behind the scenes. Sometimes you can't see it. When a seed is planted in the ground, that seed is what? It's working. It's producing. It's laying something that is very, very important so that what you do see is not important, more important than what you haven't seen. And God, many times, is working behind the scenes. Nico, is it up there, Romans 8.28? Romans 8.28, as many of you know, it says these words, and we know that all things, not some, all things, what? They're working together for good. Do we trust our Father that He's working all things together? No matter what you're facing and what you're going through, somehow, some way, he knows, he cares, and he's working behind the scenes to make all things work together. And so here's the questions that I feel like are coming at me even without you saying it. Is, well, what about this person that doesn't even obey God? And what about this? How do we trust that? I'll, let me just put it out there. He knows where that person's at. He cares about that, their, their wayward. And he's working behind the scenes. He knows how to get people's attention. And sometimes, as mamas know, it's, hey, time to go upstairs and wash your hands and your face. And then there's other times where you grab them by ear and you show them that they need to go wash their hands and their face. All out of love, right, moms? And the same thing is true with God is he knows how to get people's attention. And that's where I just begin to trust, even in your own lives as a congregation members of New Day, to realize that as much as I feel maybe like, oh, I could help them in this area, I know God can do a better job. That I'm not going to nitpick at some of you and you need to fix this and change this and work on this, although you may already know that. It's realizing, God, I thank you that you meet them right where they are. And that you know and you care and you're working behind the scenes. And I want to close off with this final passage from Isaiah chapter 61. And as we do, I want you to hear this phrase, let us look to Jesus today and receive. Let us put our eyes back on Christ and see what he has come here for. And it says these words in verse number one of Isaiah chapter 61, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. And to announce that captives will be released and prisons will be freed. He has sent me to tell who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. And to all who mourn in Israel he will give beauty for ashes. I want you to listen to this. To all who mourn he will give beauty for ashes. He will give joy instead of mourning. He will give you praise instead of despair. For the Lord has planted them like strong and graceful oaks for his own glory. 
for they will rebuild the ancient ruins. I want you to see this. There are some of you in this room that have ashes that he is giving beauty to. It may have taken a year or it may be going to continue to take some time. There's some of you that have been mourning and he's going to give you joy or he wants to give you joy. Some of you in despair that he says, I, I have praise for you. And then he plants you in his love, firmly and securely in his love, so that what? So that they, you guys, each and every one of you will go then out. Why? Because you're joyful. You can praise God. You're no longer in despair. You can go out and rebuild the ancient ruins and repair cities long ago destroyed. We no longer are trying to repair the city of Jerusalem. What are we repairing? People. That there are broken people who are hurt out there. They're dying out there. They, they don't know where they're at. They're lost. And so we get, we get offended by their lostness. We get offended by what they say about God and what they say about our world and, our, and America, whatever it is. And so we start to now push them away rather than go realize I'm an answer to help rebuild people to help restore them, to help repair, and then ultimately to help revive them so that they can continue for generations to see God's glory. And he says these words in Isaiah 61, 6 and 7, And you shall be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. And you will be fed with the treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. And instead of shame and dishonor, you will inherit a double portion of prosperity and everlasting joy. And we are to receive from our Father, amen, that you can trust him. And I wanted to make one more statement because it may be a disconnect in the message, but some of you are trusting God for a promise that you haven't seen yet. Who has ever purchased something on Amazon? Oh, beautiful Amazon. I love Amazon. I know, I get some groanings out there. When you purchase it, what comes to your email? Confirmation that it's what? On its way. It's yours. I want you to realize we have our confirmation here. And just because Amazon says it's going to get there in 24 hours doesn't mean it's not yours. You tell everybody, I got what? What you purchased. And it's on its and the same thing is true with trusting God is that you can go, oh, I don't know where it's at. I, I, I prayed and asked God for it. And that's what Daniel began to realize. Man, there was an enemy out there that took 21 days for the angels of God to bring you the very thing that was rightfully yours. And I just want to encourage you. This is the confirmation receipt. If he said it, he will do it. He's more faithful than one day shipping from Amazon. Amen. Amen. It may take longer because there's opposing forces, but I want you to know the confirmation is here. Don't stop believing. Don't stop trusting that your God is good and that what he promised you, it's yours. You have the confirmation right here. It's on its way. And you shall see the manifestation of it. Amen? Amen. Let's give Jesus some praise. <laughs>